Hi, and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church. I'm glad you've chosen to join us for worship this morning. Because of the weather, we're meeting a little different, but we're going to continue in our series called Start Here. Several weeks ago, we began with the Bible, and we talked about the Bible, then we talked about purpose, and then we talked about prayer. Today, we're going to talk about generosity, and all four of these pieces are foundational to the Christian life. When I was back in college, I was challenged by a friend of mine to run a 5K. I'm not a runner. Um, That's obvious from looking at me. I'm not built to run. I'm not designed to run, yet I took on the challenge. I was in college, and I did a lot of not-so-smart things in college, um, and this was one of them. I I chose to run a 5K with this guy, and and he told me, you're going to need to do some training before you run this 5K. Now, 5K is not a long trip or not a long distance, and so it shouldn't have been a big deal for me as a college student, but I did not train. Um, I ran a couple of times. um, Probably the highest I ever went was was two miles, uh, but it came race day, and I had committed, and so I had all my running gear, and I was ready to go. In fact, I, there's a picture that my mom took and blew up into a poster size, and I hope it's um, in the bottom of a heap of trash or burned somewhere, but um, I did that race and, and survived the race, but I realized how important training was. And so if I was going to reach the peak level of my being able to, even as a non-runner, of my being able to survive this race, I needed to really do some better training. Well, it's that way with the Christian life. If we're going to succeed or if we're going to thrive and mature in our relationship to Christ, there are steps that we take and we want to keep a progress going or a, a forward momentum, if you will. And so when we talk about these four foundational ideas regarding Christian life, that the Bible is true and we can trust it and we look at it and we study it and we internalize it. And then the idea of purpose, that that God has a purpose for us, both in general terms and in specific terms. And then prayer is that communication piece that changes us. When we look at that, in addition to generosity that we'll talk about this morning, when we look at those four pieces, we need to have movement in our lives. By the Bible, for instance, if you were to take and look and study a particular passage, we could take today's passage out of, out of Psalm 37, verse 21. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. So we took that and we said, okay, I'm going to memorize that verse, but I'm not good at memorizing the whole chapter. Well, one verse is where you start. And as you continue to memorize a verse at a time, it'll get easier to have parts of the Bible as part of your life. Same is true with purpose. Purpose was the idea that God had a a general purpose for us, that we would grow in holiness and in relationship to him. And at the same time, he may have a specific purpose for us. Several Bible characters come to mind when I think about purpose and specific purpose, one of them being Jonah. Jonah was chosen to go to Nineveh to share about salvation through Christ, to share about the gospel, and yet he decided to go a different direction and tried to run from God. Um, probably not the wisest move in, in, in his life, but he ends up on the beach in Nineveh, and God had called him for that purpose, and a great revival took place, much to Jonah's dismay. Joseph was another one. 
Uh, remember, he was sold into slavery into Egypt, ends up in Egypt being in a position of power within the country. And when the famine hit and Joseph was older, his family actually came to Egypt for help, for sustenance, and, and Joseph was able to give that to them. And there, there's a story, and you ought, you ought to go read the Bible about that because there's some pretty interesting things that happened in Joseph's life and how he deals with his family in the midst of that um, that's intriguing. But Joseph had a specific purpose. Paul uh, is another character. He was chosen to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember, the Jews were the chosen people of God. But God was expanding in his wisdom. He had expanded it beyond just the Jews. And Paul was that instrument of God, chosen to take the gospel to those that were not part of the chosen race of Israel. And so Paul had a specific purpose, and you and I do. We have uh, maybe a specific purpose for a specific time in our lives, and it may be to share the gospel with a neighbor or to be an encouragement to someone. Whatever it happens to be, God will use us. So general and specific. And, and we continue to grow in that as we continue to move closer to Christ. In prayer, that communication, that talking, but also listening to God, which is probably more important, we, we know that that God uses us and, and changes us. And, and that personal idea of prayer is a reflection of our relationship with him. But not just that, it purifies us. As we spend time with him, it, it's kind of like the, the character, the, the, um, the characteristics of God kind of rub off on us as we spend time with him. Much like when you spend time with friends, you start to do things like they do. If you've ever spent time um, listening to the same artist or the same preacher and, and you start to do something like that, uh, you may hear phrases or ideas that you heard or, or saw in that other person. You may see those in your own life. I served with a pastor who loved Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers was his favorite preacher. But when I listen to the pastor I served with, who was not Adrian Rogers, I hear Adrian Rogers because they had spent time together even though they weren't in the same building. And so we allow Jesus to rub off on us through prayer. And so it's not just personal, but it purifies us and there's power involved. When we pray, there's power. It bends the ear of God into action. And so we can pray about a certain thing and, and we're asking God to, to work in a way in accordance with his will that he would accomplish something. And then we sit back and we trust him with it and then wait for a result. So prayer has power. It changes things. And lastly, generosity, which is today's topic, is, is going to be um, one of those things where we're going to talk about some money, but we're going to talk about some other areas of generosity as well. And, and it's all about maturing. It's all about moving forward. Uh, J.T. English wrote this in his book called Deep Discipleship. He said, the Christian life is one of increasing immaturity. Christian life is one of increasing immaturity. It's a, um, it's a movement forward for, for us in our relationship to Christ. See, each element, whether it's Bible and, and learning about the Bible and studying the Bible or it's purpose and figuring out our purpose or 
praying or even even being generous is a function of maturity in Christ. It's essentially discipleship. The Christian life is about maturing and moving forward in our life in Christ. And so we're going to look at generosity. We're going to look at these questions. What is generosity? We're going to ask the question, what does it mean to be generous? Um, what is included in generosity? Because it's more than just the financial piece, although that's the part that we immediately go to in our brains when we talk about being generous. And then can I be generous and not tithe? That's a, that's a good question. Can I be generous and not tithe? And do the, how do those pieces fit together? And am I, am I willing to adjust my life to be generous? So those are the questions we're going to talk about. Let's pray as we get into this, and then we'll jump over to Psalm 37. Let's pray together. God, thank you for our time this morning, even though it's different than what it has been, and we certainly enjoy gathering together, but because of weather and the safety of others, and um, we chose to, to meet like this. And so, Father, we pray that even in this way, you will bless, that you will speak to us, that our hearts would be soft and pliable to you, that our minds would be sharp and, and that our ears would be perked up to hear the voice of God beyond any other voice or noise that we could hear this morning. And so, Father, we ask that you would work so that you will receive the glory from how we not just hear, but how we respond to you. God, we pray these things in Jesus', in Jesus name. Amen. So turn over to Psalm 37, verse 21. I've already quoted it, but um, let, let's look at it again. It says, The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. And when David writes this, he, he's writing um, in this contrasting style. If you, if you go through the psalm, he talks about the wicked and then those that belong to God. He's talking about the, those that are wrong and then those that love the Lord, those that are evil and those that are righteous. And here again, he pulls out um, here's, here's what the wicked do, and here's the ones that, um, that are righteous. This is what they do. So the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. And we could, we could spend a good bit of time there, and, and even in relation to uh, um, how debts are taken care of in our country and student loans and all those kind of things. We could get into that, but we're not going to. We're going to concentrate on the second part of this verse, but the righteous, the, but the righteous is generous and gives the righteous is generous and gives. So the um, the outcome or the result of somebody being righteous is a generous spirit, and they give, and in some way they give. So what what do we mean by righteous? Well, we know because we've looked at scripture and we understand that the righteousness that we have is not ours. We don't own it. We've attained it because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we become the righteousness of Christ through him. And so we don't have a righteousness of our own. If we had a righteousness of our own, then we could claim our own generosity and our own giving and, and revel in that, but we don't. Uh, as we are made righteous by Christ, our generosity is wrought out of a maturing in Christ. And so this idea, the righteous is generous and gives, Adds, adds a piece to our puzzle as we start talking about generosity. This, this word generous in this passage means to be gracious, merciful, and considerate. Gracious, merciful, and considerate. 
So how do those relate to you? Or do you feel like you're a generous person? We're going to look at three areas of generosity. Uh, the, the, as we look at this concept, we're going to learn that, uh, about being generous in our giving, which is the most obvious. And Jesus talked a lot about money. Paul talked about money uh, with several different churches. So we're going to talk about giving, and then we're also going to talk about generous with the gospel and then generous with grace. So those three areas, giving, gospel, and grace. And as part of the outline for taking notes this morning, and hopefully you've downloaded that and you can take notes along with this message, um, there are several resources in all three of those areas, giving gospel and grace. Um, I wanna add one or two to each of those as you're listening. Um, the first one in the area of giving is the book called Take the Stew Out of Stewardship, and it's by Paul Powell. And so there's that book. And then in the, in the area of gospel, Lasting Impact by Carrie Newhoff. Uh, Carrie Newhoff is someone we'll quote later in the message. So uh, Lasting Impact by Carrie. And then in the area of grace, The Measure of a Healthy Church, it's by Gene Getz. And then The Incomparable Christ by J. Oswald Sanders. And so those are some extra resources besides the ones listed. I would invite you to check those out. So let's define generosity. Let's define it. Well, Gordon MacDonald, in his book called Generosity, defines it like this. Sacrificing something of value to us for the good of another. And we could stop right there and say that is a generous thing when we take something we value and give it away, when we give it to somebody else. But, but there's always the question of motive. Why am I giving it? Am I compelled to give because of whatever it happens to be? Um, so if we take something of value that's to us and is good for another, and then Gordon MacDonald finish, finishes that phrase with because we love them. So sacrificing something of value to us for the good of another because we love them. When I was going to Columbia International University and moving there, I didn't have any money. Um, I, I was a pretty poor college student. Um, I had a job, but I was making ends meet, trying to pay a, a car payment, pay rent, do those kind of things, and um, decided to move to Columbia International University to study and work on my master's degree in Christian education. Well, I called my dad, and, and that was an unusual thing, but I called him to let him know what my plan was. And so as I was on the phone explaining what I was going to be doing, that that degree that he had paid for, my bachelor's degree that he had paid for, I wasn't going to use, and I was moving to something different. I was moving into ministry that likely wouldn't have that same kind of income. Um, I explained that to him, and then he asked me a question about how I was going to pay for this. Because school costs money, and it was a private school. And, and I really didn't have a plan. I was going on faith. Um, I had decided that God had called me to that and had sought some advice from some trusted counselors. I read God's word and, and began to pray, and God impressed me that I needed to move there even without all the, all the specifics being um, situated. And so my brother overheard the conversation between my dad and myself. And he said, well, how much do you need? And at that point, I needed $1,200. So he said, hey, I've got $1,200 in my bank account. I will send you the check. Well, I didn't say send it. I didn't say 
I'm going to pay it back. There was none of that. I had already committed to moving. And he said, I'll, I'll send you the check. You see, my brother took something of value to him, gave it to somebody that was good for me out of a motive of love. Now, my brother doesn't have a lot of money, and he didn't have a lot of money then, but he had enough to give it to me, and it was a sacrifice on his part. He was self-sacrificing something of value to him for the good of me under the motive of love. And so it fit the definition that Gordon MacDonald has in his book, Generosity. Generosity is a part of discipleship. It's not the only piece of discipleship, but it is a part of discipleship. You see, God gave us an example. My brother was an example to me in that particular instance, but God, in a bigger picture, was very generous with us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, that's a, a value for our benefit that we wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Our value because he loved us. He loved us. You got to catch that. He loved us so much that he was willing to be self-sacrificial on our behalf. And so if we stay within the realm of definition, we can talk about giving and we can talk about the gospel and we can talk about grace. So let's get into this. The first point is we can be generous in our giving. We can be generous in our giving. You know, this is the area where if you talk about generosity, you would expect to go is money and talk about money. But generosity is so much bigger. But let's look at this because there's pieces of this that certainly apply to discipleship and maturing in Christ. So we can be generous in our giving. You see, no one can serve both God and money. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 13. And, and Jesus is talking and he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either for either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What is Jesus talking about here? That you either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other? Cannot, those two things coexist? And Jesus is saying, no, you can't have an allegiance to one and an allegiance to the other and expect that that relationship is going to work out. It's much like Jesus when he talked about our priorities, the priorities of our life and, and being set on him and having him as first place in our life. Uh, that word serve in this passage, no one or you cannot serve God and money. That word serve is to be yielded to or be obedient. So if I were to ask you the question, do you want to serve Christ or do you want to be obedient to Christ? Then, then money can't be your God. And so you can't serve money. You can't be obedient to money and be obedient to Christ. It's going to be one or the other. And, and if you are growing as a Christian, you want Jesus to be first place in your life. And so no one can serve God and money. Secondly, our focus can be misplaced in the area of giving. Luke 12 19 through 21, Jesus is talking about a, a man who had lots of grain and he was considering building more storehouses for what was grown. He said, I have so much. And this is what it says. And I will say to my soul, and this is the man talking, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
And so it seems like a fairly good plan. I've got plenty. I can sit back and relax. I've got you know millions of dollars or whatever it happened to be. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the rich man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this man had saved up and stored up and, and built his storehouses and collected all that stuff. And really at the end of the day, when he dies, who gets it? And that's the question. Who gets what you prepared because you can't bring it here. You can't take it beyond the grave. It's like somebody that has a mansion and 17 cars and they will never be able to take that with them to into eternity. Those are just material possessions that move to somebody else's possession when you die. And so Jesus is saying, the man who stores up treasures for himself, this is that guy. But we can be that person and not be rich toward God. And I think we want, really want to be rich toward God. We want to be more rich toward him or more focused on God than we do other things. And yet sometimes our focus can be misplaced. We love the wrong thing. First Timothy 6.10 says it this way, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He's saying you can, you can love money, but when you start pursuing that, you're, you're leaving God in the dust of your life, and, and that's not going to be good in the scheme of eternity. And, and it's, it, it really works against what God has in mind for you. Second thing, not is the love of the wrong thing, but worry about needed things. Matthew chapter 6 reminds us that God will take care of us. And our job is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will get added to us. We will be taken care of because we are a child of God. And in the environment we live in right now, some would question whether God is taking care of his kids. Well, let me tell you, I, I firmly believe because the Bible speaks to it that God does take care of his God does provide what we need when we need it. Now, granted, as we look at circumstances from our perspective, from a human perspective, that may not be the case. But if we looked at it from God's perspective, it is always true. And so we can worry about things that are needed, but we place our, it's a misplaced uh, focus again. Thirdly, concern for personal comfort. Uh, we ran across this when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. You remember what he said? He said, I think I've got my act together, but what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, give up your stuff. Give it away. Because Jesus knew his heart. He knew that those things were, were preventing him from completely following God. And so it's not that you can't have stuff, but when those things get in the way, they become a hindrance. And Jesus was calling that out in this rich young ruler's life. And the rich young ruler said, hey, I can't do that. And he walked away sad. At the same time, Jesus walked away sad because he hadn't responded and did not respond to the invitation of God to follow Jesus. 
And so it was a concern for personal comfort. He wasn't willing to give up what was comfortable to him for following Christ. He had made a choice between serving God and serving money. Third thing in this, in this list is that treasure indicates priorities. We can go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, what are the keys in, in that verse? Because if we're talking about giving and treasure and, and having our hearts set on God, what's the deal with being a cheerful giver and deciding in our heart? No, so what's, what's the big deal? Well, maybe we'll put it in, in these terms. Um, you can be under someone's teaching, whether it's mine or somebody else's, and, and you can be challenged in the area of giving and feel guilty. You can be guilted into obedience, but it's obedience for the sake of just measuring up and fulfilling a law. But that's not what God requires. God wants your heart to be in it. He wants you to be motivated out of a heart of love for him. And so when Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly. I don't want to give this up or under compulsion. You must give this up. Not those kind of things. God loves a cheerful giver. That word decided means to move forward. Let me put it in these terms. If we were to have a filing cabinet, let's say our heart um, represented a filing cabinet of all the things that are important to us, whether it's a spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's your home, your job, family, all these different things that, that are part of this file cabinet of your heart. And one of the things in the file cabinet is Jesus. One of the things in the file cabinet is Jesus and all the pieces that go with following him. All the things that, that we would say are obedient pieces of life in Christ. What, what Paul was saying here, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, is the idea of taking the file that says Jesus and all the things related to Jesus and moving it to the front of the file drawer, the very first thing in that drawer. That becomes the priority for you and priority for me instead of the other things. Remember, Jesus says that you hate your father and mother. And, and we know that in context, he wasn't saying, hey, go hate your father, father and mother. He was making a distinction in priority. He said, if if I'm going to be in your life, I've got to be the priority. I've got to be number one. I've got to move to the front of that file cabinet of your heart. And in so doing, we become a, a more um, mature follower of Jesus Christ. And so here's where we get to that question, can I be generous and not tithe? Well, you get to answer the question. Can I be generous and not tithe? You answer it. Here's, here's the idea. If generosity is an indicator of the priorities of the heart and tied to obedience, we can arrive at an answer. You can answer it. If obedience and, and priorities are tied in here or an indication through generosity, then where do you stand? See, we may be wrestling with God at this point. 
we may be wrestling with the idea of giving, but we also may be wrestling with the idea of promise. Is God going to fulfill his promise? Is God going to come through? If I were to give, and it seemed to be sacrificial, if I were to give, is God really going to take care of me? Well, I moved to Columbia International. I finished the year. I didn't have any more debt at the end of the year than I did at the beginning of the year. And God took care of me. Now, I didn't drive a great car. I didn't have extras while I was there, but I had what I needed. I had exactly what I needed for that time in my life. And I want to tell you that God is faithful. He's very faithful and trustworthy and will come through if we're willing to be obedient to Him and continue to grow in our faith. The, move, the key is movement. The key is moving forward in our relationship with Him. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Let me flip over there real quick. And, um, and Paul was writing to Timothy, and he's saying, pass this information on to those that seem to be fairly well off in your congregation. He says, as for the rich, and, and really in our context of this area of the country, just being in the United States and, and having the, the general wealth that we have as a country, um, we would be considered rich in, in terms of the world's population. So when Paul writes this, he could be writing about us and to us. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or, or self-absorbed, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Well, let me ask a question. How many of you checked the stock market in the last three weeks? We've had an election. Things change. Have you checked your portfolio? Have you checked your bank account? Are you still rich? There's an uncertainty with that. But on, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. So here's what this group of people, this is the rich, this is us. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. What future? Future in heaven. Store up a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And that brings a, a passage to mind that um, often share at funerals, that the death is swallowed up by life, which is not exactly the, the order that we see when somebody dies. But real life is on the other side of the grave. It's in the presence of Christ. That's where real life takes place. And Paul's sort of referring to that here when he's writing to Timothy, saying they'll store up for themselves, be rich in regard to good things stored up for you in heaven, and you'll enjoy life, real life, at that point. And so he, he writes that. So, so we should be generous in our giving. Second thing, we can be generous with the gospel. Uh, Bill Ankerberg said this. He said, generosity is the new evangelism. And I've got to be honest with you. I struggled with that phrase. Um, that generosity is the new evangelism. Because when I think of evangelism, I, I, I have a different idea of what that looks like um, than, than generosity. Um, when I think of the gospel and I think of evangelism, it's, it's the concept of somebody understanding that sin has separated them from God. 
and that God in his wisdom gave his only son to die on a cross to take on their sin and were given the opportunity and convicted of sin, were given the opportunity to respond to God's invitation of salvation. So we surrender our life to him and believe and trust that Jesus paid the penalty for us so that we don't have to pay our own penalty and we in turn receive the forgiveness of God and move forward in eternity in the presence of God taking on the righteousness of Christ. Now that's what I see when I think and think of when I think of evangelism. But Ankerberg here says generosity is the new evangelism and, and maybe what he's getting at is not so much the evangelistic side of that um, um, proper. Um, maybe what he's getting at is people are waiting for the church to be generous in the areas of giving gospel and grace in an effort to open conversation up that will lead to evangelism. Maybe that's the idea. And so um, our job is to share the gospel, to be generous with it, and to not hold it in. And we can walk past anybody, anywhere, and we can share the gospel or not share the gospel. And if we're prompted, we ought to. But we should never be selfish with it. The gospel is for everyone. That was the, um, the pursuit of Paul when he took the gospel to the Gentiles. Kerry Newhoff states it this way, our mission is not to fill seats on a Sunday, it's to lead people to Jesus. Now hear what he says. And if we are really being generous with the gospel, we may lead somebody to Christ, but it's not important that they sit in our sanctuary, in Ebenezer's sanctuary. It's important that they have begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we don't get hung up on, do they become a member of my church? How are the numbers of my church? You know, um, we're, we're winning souls, but they're going somewhere else. They, the, that's peripheral. It's about the kingdom of God. And are we being obedient to what God has called us to within the kingdom concept of God and who he is? So we can lead somebody to Christ. We encourage them to be part of a Bible-believing, a Bible-teaching church. We want them to grow, to be in the best atmosphere for growing in Christ. But we're not hung up on, on the idea that they must sit in a pew here. And so... Our mission is not to fill seats on a Sunday. It's to lead people to Jesus, here or not. Third thing is we can be generous not just with giving and the gospel. We can be generous with his grace. This, like the other functions, are works of the Holy Spirit. It's what God does when we're abiding in Christ, when we're connected to him. Um, John 15, Jesus talked about abiding in him and producing fruit. And, and that's... That's the idea of being generous with grace, is that abiding. And because we are abiding, we, it manifests itself in the way we live life. Paul puts it in terms of um, fruit of the Spirit um, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, um, and going in all the way into 24, where it talks about leaving something else behind. Um, the things that Paul talked about in Galatians 5, prior to the fruit of the Spirit are all the things we're supposed to back away from and not pursue. So Paul writes this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. 
And then he goes on to say, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, now, are you in that camp? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So just like David had this comparison in Psalm 37 of the wicked and the righteous, Paul here is saying, those of you that belong to Christ ought to have characteristics like this. Those of you that don't belong to Christ, you have characteristics like this. And he kind of lists them out, not an exhaustive list, but a list. And so life in Christ, if we're going to be generous with his grace and live under the direction of the Holy Spirit, life in Christ is directional. There's an aim to it. It's as if Jesus is out in front of us, and as he's out in front of us, we put on blinders and see only him. That's our goal. That's our example. We want to be like Jesus. It goes back to what would Jesus do kind of idea. We want to be like him. We want to take on the characteristics. We want to, as we spend time with him, we want Jesus to rub off on us. And so there's an aim. But life in Christ is also intentional. So we have that as the out there kind of goal. And then closer in is that we are aligned. Um, the, the New Testament uses the word paraclete. It's to come alongside. And so it's the idea of being aligned with him. And so as we are going, we are also aligned with him. We are in step. Paul talked about being in step with the Spirit, having the mind of Christ and being in step with the Spirit. So life in Christ is, is intentional. So there's an aim and an alignment to life in Christ and being generous with his grace. And so we can flip all the way back to the beginning of this morning and um, that quote by J.T. English where he talks about being a disciple is about maturity. It's about um, moving in the right direction and maturing in Christ. So it leads us to step back and look in the mirror. And we get to look in the mirror individually, but we also look in the mirror as a corporate body. And so we could, we could ask these questions. How will the concept of generosity, self-sacrificial living affect your budget your weekly schedule, your talk at work or at school, and your family. And you could add to the list. How will generosity affect those things for you specifically? Are you going to grow in giving? Are you going to grow in the area of sharing the gospel? Are you going to grow in the area of grace and start walking better in step with God through the Holy Spirit? And then we can look at and ask the question about that corporately as well. The church is not off the hook when we talk about generosity. So the church as a body ought to be generous. Uh, we ought to be more generous than any other, um, any other entity within our community or our world. And so how will the concept of generosity affect church life? Oh, that's a, that's a question that I asked in staff meeting this past week. And, um, and the idea here is, um, what will God call us to? What is God calling us to do? And, uh, and would we be grumblers if we started being more generous as a church? Now, now let, me, let me explain what I mean by that question. Because if we're going to be more generous as a church and God leads us in particular things moving forward, then it may be we have to 
we have to change some of the ways we do things. Now, that, that may sound scary, so don't get scared at this point, but it may change some of our priorities. It's that moving Jesus to the front of the file cabinet of our heart. And so it may mean that we take a look at the budget again, because God has called us to a particular thing, something here that we're going to need to take resources from over here and move them over. And you say, oh, that's no big deal. Or we can just, we can just add to it. And there's always self-sacrifice involved when we talk about generosity. So if generosity pushes us or pulls us to rearrange budget to accomplish certain things that God's called us to, it may mean sacrifice on the part of others. For instance, if we took parts of some budgets and moved it over here for a particular thing God's calling us to, it may cost more for church members to do something because the money is not there to support the comfort of church members. It's now there to support the generosity within our community and our world. It's taking, taking what we uh, maybe take for granted and moving it into the realm of doing what God has called us to do from this corner. We've always been called to reach our community. How we live that out means that we must be generous. And so we get to look in the mirror as individuals. We get to look in the mirror as a corporate body and say, what, God, do you want us to do? What step forward do you want us to take? And so this morning, I know we're not going to have an invitation here at the church, but I'm going to ask the question, if you would be willing to look in the mirror, to, to ask if God is calling you to be generous, what does that look like? And then if God is calling our church to be generous, are you willing to do that? Let's pray. Father, again, we come before you. And, and this idea of generosity is example best through Jesus Christ. Him becoming a servant, going so far as to die a criminal's death on the cross for our benefit and attitude that meant he was a servant. Father, um, that's a great example. And so, Father, we, we thank you for the example you gave us in Christ of being generous. Father, may our lives line up. May we be aimed at Jesus and aligned with Jesus so that our lives are characterized by the same generosity that you displayed. So God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Father, may we be the people of God you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. I know it's been different, and we trust that we'll be able to meet again next week. Uh, you know, we'll still be meeting this Wednesday in all the different areas, different classes. But I also want to share with you that next week is very special. It's uh, not just Super Bowl Sunday, but it's Super World Sunday. Yeah, see that? Um, so our missions outreach team is going to be sharing some things that uh, Ebenezer has been involved in over the last several months. And so they're going to be sharing some areas where we've been generous as a church. It's not that we've arrived. Please don't hear that but it's areas where we've been generous and we wanna celebrate that. 
So next week, they'll be taking part of our service and sharing that in Super World Sunday. And then Marty Childers, who works with the Yates Association and leading us as a group of churches that cooperate, um, he'll be here to, here to share God's word with us um, on this special Sunday. So I hope you'll join us next Sunday, uh, February 7th for Super World Sunday. I look forward to seeing you Wednesday night at church. And uh, may you have a good day. May God bless you. Um, go be grace-filled. Go be generous. I'll see you later. Thanks.